Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hello, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so glad you're going to get to listen to this wonderful conversation with someone who is just a light in the world. She comes from a place of great generosity. She has a long history of practicing and teaching yoga and now is focusing on Zen Buddhism and developing a Zen Buddhist meditation practice. And we're going to hear a little bit about her journey and her history. She has programs and a mentorship to support women in their life and in their business. And her philosophy in life is really about honoring your wisdom and your wholeness through simplicity and consistency. And really what more is there than that? She's just a beautiful human being. So I can't wait for you to connect and learn from Elena Brower. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about Zen Buddhism, a practice that is close to my heart, one of the first Buddhist practices um, and traditions that I was involved with back in 2002 when I went to China to study Buddhist meditation practices. Uh, Zen is the Japanese pronunciation of the Chinese word chan. And Chan is the direct translation of the Sanskrit word dhyana. And so as you know, I think dhyana means meditation. So Chan means meditation and as does Zen. Um, and so it's a really beautiful, simple meditation practice. Uh, also a offshoot of the Vipassana tradition of just being simple and watching what is, watching the arising and the falling of the breath, of sensation. And it moves into contemplation and then into absorption and then into the meditative state. So moving from dharana to dhyana, there's the meditation, into eventually samadhi. And so really this is raja yoga. And without hatha yoga, the asana, the pranayama, maybe some mudras or kriyas, we are not able to move fully into the raja yoga. So in my opinion, I always feel that the Buddhist meditation practice is really the fruit the evolution of the hatha yoga practice, which we always seem to call yoga today, the asana, mainly when we say yoga, everyone thinks of asana. And, but where the asana is going is it's helping us to experience subtler and subtler energies to tap into the breath so that we can develop a pranayama practice or a breathwork practice, which is why I feel that my Ancient Breathing 2.0 course is so important because everything in that course comes directly from the Hatha Pratapika and from a long lineage and tradition of teachers from the Kavayadam where their entire teaching is focused on the pranayama practice and the teachings from the Hatha Pratapika, the Kriyas, and using those to clear out the energy body to prepare us for Raja Yoga, for meditation, so that we can go deeper into these states of concentration and meditation and eventually absorption when we sit. And so I think there's an inspiring saying uh, in Zen Buddhism that when you continue to practice week after week, year after year, your experience will become deeper. Like drop by drop, the bucket slowly becomes full. And then your experience that you have in meditation will start to translate and cover and spread into. I always see like paint on a canvas, like watercolor bleeding over the page into this beautiful um, painting. And it bleeds into or covers, spreads into everything that you do every day into your life. And the most important thing is to forget that you're trying to achieve anything. 
Forget your ideas, your ambitions, your wants, your desires. In other words, to practice meditation where you're sitting in a certain posture becomes your attitude. It becomes your asana of the mind, your attitude, your asana that you can do in everything, in every activity. And that's why there's that famous Zen saying, before enlightenment, chop wood. After enlightenment, chop wood. And so even though you're sitting on your meditation cushion, you should sit without expectation. And eventually you will start to reside in your own true nature. And then that own true nature will come up and emerge and be present in everything that you do. And that's really the essence of this conversation that we're having today, uh, talking to Elena about her experience of the practice and how it's translated into how she approaches everything in her life from parenting to relationships to how she practices the asana now. And I think you're really just going to benefit greatly from uh, thinking and listening to these words and the topic of conversation here. So I can't wait to get into it. And if you'd like to do some meditation, some pranayama, some asana with me next week on Sunday, December 18th, I'm offering my spirit-centered self-care retreat. It'll be a three-hour practice where we'll incorporate all of these spiritual disciplines into a holistic approach and then also take a little time to reflect on the year and do some visioning for 2023 which is just around the corner so I hope that you'll join me in my spirit-centered self-care retreat of course there's always a recording so if you can't join live you can take the recording and practice at any time during your holidays which would be a lovely pleasure as well. So without further ado, let's talk to Elena Brower. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so pleased that you're here to join us today. We have such a special guest with us, Elena Brower, who many of you may know and some of you may not know, but she is a yoga teacher, a meditation teacher, an artist, um, an incredible entrepreneur who's so inspiring for me and um, has so many beautiful offerings that I'm just really excited to share with you today. So hi, Elena. How are you? I am fine. Thank you so much for having me here. Oh, it's just an honor and a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to say, Harmony, that your voice is particularly <laughs> husky and low today. Yes, and I I'm, know. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to have to um, um, restrain myself from attacking you. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's pretty I know. Good. Yeah. I should like just record about five five episodes or something this week while I got the... <laughs> The low, the low uh, radio voice going on. Do you, do you work on your, you have a podcast, don't you? Yes. You work on your voice. I do. I do some voiceover work really quietly that nobody really knows about, but I really enjoy the work. Wow. Mm. Yeah, the Practice You podcast. Yeah. Well, your voice is so calming, Elena. It's oh. puts puts me in a meditative state just listening to you speak. Mm, nice. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I, I think I think she's dialed up the bass on her microphone. Honestly, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm just wearing headset. I promise. <laughs> I promise. I was gardening, so maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, Harmony passed along your materials to me, and of course your your book, which is so beautiful. I, I was so grateful that you sent it to us. Uh, but I was also just sort of really um, amazed and impressed by the arc of your career uh, coming out of the arts. I think, did you study fashion at Cornell? I did. I studied uh, textile and apparel design as well as art history. Uh, wow. So I, I was really steeped in art for a while. Yeah. And then I went to work for in corporate America for one of the biggest um, textile design firms in New York. Um, I had a wonderful time there for about six years. 
and then started to work for various other uh, clothing designers uh, all over the world. And it was really sweet, such a sweet little moment in time. Well, that that brings up the curious question, because it, it seems like you made a kind of rather dramatic transition from the arts to and, and working in the arts, which is something, I'm, of course, I'm um, having coming out of art school myself, you know, having a career in the arts, you know, I would I can't imagine giving that up for yoga. <laughs> I've sort of resorted to yoga. If you understand. <laughs> yeah. So how well, did you make it didn't, that transition? It didn't seem dramatic. It didn't seem dramatic to me. I was just working freelance in textile design. And I took, uh, I was taking yoga classes all the time and, and uh, finally just decided to go ahead and take a teacher training. That was in 1998. Mm -hmm. Wow. Where did you first come across yoga? How did it come into your world? Uh, my dear college boyfriend, I went to Cornell with him. And when we graduated, I was living between my parents' house in Long Island and his mom's apartment in New York. She and I are still very, very close to this day. And she and one of my boyfriend's uh, sisters took me to my first yoga class. That's wow. that's amazing. I went to my first temple in my first synagogue in Long Island, actually. So that's <laughs> where I went to Temple Beth Am in Merrick. Yeah, I lived just one town over, just one town over in Rockville <laughs> like, Center. In in what was the town? Rockville Center. Rockville Center, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think I, I think mm -hmm. the train passes mm -hmm. through there. It does. Yeah. <laughs> one of the lines does anyway. Do you speak any Yiddish? No, no. I, I know a little bit of Hebrew, and I still can write in Hebrew, actually, okay. weirdly. Okay. Yeah. And so, did you did you come out of the the Jewish community straight into yoga, like so many of us? Um, I never left the Jewish community. Really, oh. I still, yeah, I still practice. I still pray on Shabbat. I pray yeah. on the holidays. You know, I do, I do watch the high holidays services or attend whichever is easiest. Um, and I have a lot of warmth for the way I was raised in the synagogue and the times that I spent there, I was bar mitzvah. I got my son bar mitzvah. I was uh, bat mitzvah. He was bat bar mitzvah. mitzvah. Yeah. And yeah, that's what you say for the girl. And um, <laughs> I, I still, I really feel it. It's running through me in a very mm. serious way. And now I study primarily Zen Buddhism, mm -hmm. but still celebrate the Jewish holidays and still really just invite my mother into my heart and into my life every time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 so beautiful how these spiritual practices, I think, can really complement each other in many ways um, when you're not sort of maybe steeped in only one perspective. And mm -hmm. maybe you can talk a little bit about how you've sort of incorporated all of those things like the yoga, the Zen Buddhism, um, you know, Jewish traditions, culture, culture um, and then also how it like blends with even art and business, because I feel like your life is so multifaceted this way and it all is, is actually just like integrated. Um, and it's quite unique. You know, I, we could tell that story or we could say, that every single one of us is doing the same thing. And if you're listening to us right now, I dare say you are doing at least three different jobs. Yeah. And I don't think it's anything special. I think I'm doing all the things that I really enjoy doing. I love being home for my kids. So I have a business that is based at home with doTERRA and that earns me the money to do all the other things that I do, make art, um, create music, uh, write poetry, um, paint, you know, all those other things. But we we all have that capacity. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we can all do many different things and we all do do many different things. Um, and I think that, that each pursuit feeds the others, you know, really beautifully, optimally, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think like, you you have this this 
wonderful, like I get this imagery of like a tapestry, like all these different things being woven together to make this really beautiful holistic picture. And I think a lot of people, even though they are doing, you know, three or five or 10 other jobs in their lives, Mm -hmm. maybe really struggle with feeling like pulled apart, you know, in a way rather than woven together. And I would just love Mm -hmm. to hear if you have any insights into that, because I know it's something that even like in my own life, you know, juggling many different balls or wearing many different hats, it can feel a bit frustrating at times that it's not, you know, that so many different things require such attention. Right. Well, in all the things that I teach, I go back always to the primary source of your day, which is your schedule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just look at that. And when I'm working with people one-on-one or I'm working with people in my mentorship, I always start there. Um, The schedule is the primary way that we can see what you're prioritizing and what you're not. Lots of stuff on folks' schedule, usually I find, is completely not their choice. Uh And they think they have to, or, you know, it's just been something they've always done. And then we can look into it and see that actually that can come right off your schedule. And so can that. And so can this other thing in favor of your art making, in favor of, uh, you know, giving your back a break and lying down for 10 minutes, you know, (laughs) in favor of a yin practice or a meditation practice, anything, Mm -hmm. Um, anything to support your kind of longevity, I would say. But lots of people don't see that because their schedule is too full. Yeah, yeah. I I get that. I can totally understand that. This is something that I I sort of felt like I took from the Vipassana practice is that it's very difficult to to distinguish one one practice from another when you're you're just bringing your attention to, you know, uh, subtlety. And so if I'm if I'm sitting and and painting, and I'm watching you know this material glide across a surface, then it's it's not too different from just watching, say, radiating waves of patterns throughout the the body uh, as you're doing some kind of physical practice or mm-hmm. uh, just you know walking the dog. Is is mm-hmm. I, I, I'm I'm hard pressed just to find differences between those activities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's the whole thing is just all about your attention. Mm-hmm. If you're paying attention, everything is a practice. Everything is a temple. Everything is something sacred, you know. And if you're not paying attention, it's just very jangly and and clanking, you know, noisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if you could speak to something because there's this uh, this archetype of the the grumpy monk or the grumpy nun who um who you know may be practicing for 40 years and then still something is slightly askew and i think uh harmony sees this with me in in our house all the time how grumpy i get (laughs) and it it just seems like there are times when you you watch yourself being slightly like extremely frustrated by something being slightly off and i i wonder if that's something that you could you could speak to like what is that and how do we deal with that you know i i can't really speak to it because i've only been sort of really truly steeped in zen buddhism for 3 years mm-hmm. and most of my experience has been online studying practicing, studying, practicing, studying, practicing. Mm. For the first time, I'm heading to be in residency at the monastery here for the month, coming soon in a few weeks. Wow. Mm. And I don't know that I have any examples of a grumpy anyone because I haven't really experienced that. All the teachers with whom (laughs) I've come into contact have been, you know, pretty extraordinary and really self-aware and, um, you know, kind of really putting the practice into action all the time with their choices, attitudes. You know, Mm -hmm. I've definitely been admonished and put in my place by, (laughs) 
you know, during, during practice interviews where I ask a question and it's not, it's just off base. And, you know, what I learn is just tremendously helpful. You know, I'm 52 and I feel sometimes like I'm 12 and that that's good. You know, it's really, it's all fresh for me, really. Um, but I haven't had the experience of anyone grumpy yet, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that must be really nice, though. I mean, it's nice to to step into something new and and feel. I mean, it's also a little bit scary in some ways, maybe to step into something new and daunting, feel like a beginner daunting. again. <laughs> daunting, yes, exactly. Daunting. <laughs> yeah, 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 but also exciting to to have that freshness about it and, and enjoy like joy of learning. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if I would call it exciting necessarily, but I, <laughs> but I do feel really, um, inspired and also really humbled hmm. by the, by the work, by the practice, um, by the, by the challenge that it brings and by the, the demand that it brings, you know, if, if there isn't any compassion, uh, there's really no practice, you know, what are you doing it for? Mm. And for a long time I was just doing it to do it perfectly (laughs) so that I was doing it perfectly. And now, you know, what I'm coming to realize is that the real reason why I'm practicing is so that my whole life can be a source of, uh, compassion and and action where it's Mm. needed Mm. Um, and that's kind of what i'm unraveling right now and i I don't have any real um insights yet but i do know that there is some you know aside from the things that i do now and by way of philanthropy and activism there's going to be more i can feel it coming Mm. beautiful that's someone told me once that you know, yoga is this kind of a, a exquisite instrument for perfectionists to abuse them themselves. It's it's um it's so like I found it so difficult when I I didn't have a perfect setup and I couldn't do my practice perfectly. I would just find myself just so maddened, you know, by by that the circumstances that I didn't even want to do it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I'm I haven't really had that experience. I just practice so that I can get this sort of robust um circulation, I would say, so that I can come back to my usefulness. That's kind of how I feel about the practice right now. Do it every day, get the circulation going, get the body moving, get the blood flowing. And I can feel this kind of courage rising up in me like water in a tree mm. when I practice. Yeah. But, you know, that came with time. I, I'm pretty sure that when I was younger, I was, you know, trying to always be perfect. And um, now it's totally different, changed, you know, much older. And I feel the priorities have shifted dramatically. Yeah. Can you speak to a little bit? Um, I think it's very natural to when you first sort of enter um, yoga or looking at Eastern practices, Eastern philosophy, um, we tend to be kind of body oriented maybe or like looking at the physical and maybe that's just like from an energy standpoint, there's a lot more energy to burn maybe physically. But then as, you know, through as we age or as we grow in the practice, it becomes much more subtle and internal. And I'm just curious if that's sort of what attracted you into this practice of Zen Buddhism. Was it that awareness of of the more subtle movement of energy or what was it that sort of moved from the physical yoga practice, the asana, into this more seated, still meditation? Well... I mean, I don't know that it, I don't know that the asana has ever, is ever leaving. You know, I don't, I don't know that I moved from this to that, Mm -hmm. but I'm including now the meditation because it feels extraordinarily important to stabilize my mind Mm -hmm. and to steady myself for whatever is to come. I just don't know what that is yet. And this, the practice of yoga is intended to, 
but it's really intended to lead toward meditation in which one would stabilize one's mind. Mm -hmm. Whereas Zen meditation really is about that stability. And I personally find that I need both. I need real movement by way of, you know, weight training, um, sprints I do outside on the trail. I do um, rebounder, you know, and mm -hmm. yoga. Mm -hmm. And all of that is what enables me to sit for long periods and not need to move. And I do think to your point, um, Harmony, that yes, we get older and we don't, I have nothing to prove anymore. I don't need anybody to like me anymore. I'm really happy with who I am and the family that I've grown and um, the creations that I'm up to. And that that is definitely a result of age. Hmm. Yeah. So in your day, what can you tell us a little bit about sort of how you maintain this balance? You talked a little bit about your schedule and like time and creating those spaces of time in your day. Um, do you have any advice for, you know, people listening and how they can also create this, this balance and weave their life into this tapestry of awareness? Hmm. Thank you. Well, I have a course called Simplify. It comes out usually once a year. Mm -hmm. I missed 2022. It's coming out 2023. But the very first sort of module of that course has to do with your schedule and spending a couple of weeks looking at what's there and determining exactly what you would like to see there in order to make your life uh, hold the sort of energy that you want it to hold that seems so elusive. And it helps everybody in a matter of moments. It's like, oh yeah, that, of course. <sighs> I don't need to be doing that. Oh yeah, and that, of course, that doesn't need to happen. I'm going to be putting my kids to bed every night. I'm going to be waking them up every morning. You know, there are things that can shift pretty easily, mm -hmm. even when you think that, that they can't. And that's kind of how I work with myself. On Sundays, I go through my schedule. I know it seems so dorky, but I take the online schedule and I write it out on a on a handwritten date book. Mm -hmm. And I can see very easily then if I've overcommitted myself and take things off the schedule. And if there's something there that shouldn't be there and suddenly I'm like, well, that's not really what I want to be doing, um, I take it off. Mm -hmm. And there's a really cool barometer. Uh, Judith Lasseter taught this to me, and she teaches it in her nonviolent communication course, which I cannot recommend highly enough. And it's called the Duck Index. It's really funny. <laughs> Have you ever been a kid at the duck pond? Yeah. <laughs> right? you've, you've been one. You've seen one. Feeding them. No, and you're feeding no. the gooses and they chase you. And... I've only ever been bitten by geese. Yeah. That's my only experience with them. So... But at the I like duck that pond. you just called them the gooses. <laughs> gooses. Um, yes, at, at the duck pond. Totally. Yeah. She went right back there. Four years old again. But that level of joy when you're feeding the old hard bread to the ducks as, yeah. a, as a little tiny kid. That yeah. level of joy is a 10 on the duck index. <laughs> and anything below a seven or an eight, I no longer do. Nice. <laughs> I will just say no. That's it. And it's so nice indeed because it really makes a difference in the way my week flows. Every day feels like something really well crafted mm -hmm. and a whole series of things that I really want to do. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I don't want to do. That's so good. That's so juicy. Like, and just bringing joy. So simple. Yeah, it's so simple. Joy. But it's so really beautiful. Joy. Yeah. Joy. That's it. That's it. You don't need to take Simplify, even though it's a great course. You don't need to take it now. <laughs> that's really, that's that's like the first module and everything builds on that. Yeah. Oh, amazing. That, that reminds me of something of, of like raising children. Because, you know, people, I think, like to, sometimes complain about, you know, what, what's coming up or what's, you know, what's, what's harrying them about children. Cause I, 
maybe they're even um, shy about expressing the like the pure joy of of raising a, a child. And I was I was just thinking about some complaint that I could make. It's like, oh well, you know, I, I just I just walked the dog. It was minus thirty degrees, and it's a blizzard, and I have to do this thing. But I mean, if I'm being honest. I really like it out there and it's it's a fantastic sense of of clarity and purity of purpose it's just it's just silence and it's really really sweet yeah blizzard is like pretty much my favorite state <laughs> of affairs i mean anytime there's a blizzard i just get four layers on and go yeah straight yeah. out in it so delicious it is it yeah. is you can't even see in front of you but i get what you mean and i think um parenting is something that i'm just now feeling um qualified and capable of uh speaking on <laughs> and i just created a course called perceptive parenting and now that my kid is 16 i did a killer job i really did <laughs> awesome and, and we we have a great thing taking him out to dinner tonight, just the two of us, and uh, we just really love each other. We really respect each other, and we really admire each other. And that took time and many, many small choices on both of our parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I think it's it is parenting really like brings. Um, exactly what you're talking about, that moment-to-moment awareness and really trying to be present and aware and, uh, you know, with the person and with, you know, not your own past or your own fears or your own all projections, projections, right? But really the person that's in front of you and, and seeing clearly um, it's such a, such a embodiment of our yoga practice, I feel. Yeah, and being with yourself. Yeah, yeah. You have the one like child. That's the most important part. Yeah, Jonah. just one. Yeah. So mm-hmm. th- we're kind of in a similar experience with this. Um, his cousins call him uh, Jediah. They call him the the. He's a lonely child <laughs> instead of an only child. <laughs> and I, I just wonder if he's he's eleven, turning twelve, and he's kind of suddenly overnight decided to want to become a classical uh, musician, which is kind of gobsmacking is the only (laughs) word I can think of. So just watching these wonderful transformations, but if you have any counsel on what to do with a lonely child. (laughs) Um, Well, what I did was I just let him do pretty much whatever he wanted to do for the most part during that period of time. So 11 to 13 or 14, it was just, you get to choose what happens here. You want a piano teacher? You got it. You don't? You don't. You want to practice on your own? Cool. He's also a classical pianist. How mm. oh, beautiful. And um, for two years, I didn't. he didn't have any lessons at all. And now I see him and he practices every single day by himself. Wow. Because I never mm. pushed it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so beautiful to see them like blossom and, and step into their own expressions. Totally. And the, and the, the less I sort of insinuate myself, I found the better. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember like kind of standing at the, like the bottom of the stairs and like listening to him, um, like playing Minecraft on, on his PlayStation. And he's got, and I'm like really concerned, you know, like maybe this isn't, maybe I should, you know, intercede here somehow. And, but then I was like listening to him and like really what he was, was doing was like project management and he and his friends were organizing the distribution of resources in a on a Precisely. on a build site and i thought you know there's really kind of like there's it's like a montessori kind of experience like just watching your child's but i was like this they're really kind of figuring something out here project management <laughs> yeah yeah. I let him play Minecraft for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And guess what? By the time he was 14, 15, he hasn't touched a computer or a device. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Just like allowing them. He got over it. Yeah. Hmm. He just got over it. <laughs> yeah. 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 No amazing. problem. I know. Yep. Yeah. 
I was kind of amazed. Now he's, he's like skier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful to, to see that transformation and just, and, and so like nice when they make their own positive choices. But That's you, right. You too, like, aren't you just, you do like kind of sometimes just go to bed at night, like just full of anxiety. Like I should like maybe just, you know, push in one direction sometimes you (laughs) worry don't you like well he's just down there like you know smoking grass all day and i just feel like he's (laughs) is he gonna get tired of it you know (laughs) no he's a good kid here's the thing you gotta let your kid i for me this is how i think i have to let my kid do what he wants to do and make his own choices This is the only way that he will grow up with any sort of autonomy or agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And definitely there are certain conversations where, you know, talking about money, talking about time, talking about your oral care, you know, <laughs> there are certain things that, that have to happen. And these are these are tidbits for adulthood that will never not be relevant. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I make it very clear that these are going to be his choices and he's very soon going to be on his own paying rent, paying for the car that I pay for, mm-hmm. paying the insurance on the car that I pay for. He And he has to start thinking about how that's all going to play out yeah. in light of whatever choices he's making today. And he totally gets it. We have peeled apart from each other in a really cool way, mm-hmm. very empowering way for both of us. And, um, I think that's the best wisdom of all is that, you know, no matter how old your kid is, if you're listening to this, kid gets to be 10, 11, 12, 13, you better start peeling yourself away. Because if you don't, it's going to be a very rude awakening when your kid wants nothing whatsoever to do with you (laughs) and you suddenly are taking it personally when in fact you could have practiced previously just living your own life, knowing that your kid was going to be having to individuate and be their own person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you bring that up because I was just listening to um, something that you had said previously in a different interview about um, new parents and just how quickly that time goes and just really being present Mm. with your baby and your toddlers and and realizing that, that that like, loving presence and just that 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 period of time is so fleeting and I know when you're in that period of time it's it feels like the days are long <laughs> but the years are short and- no it's horrific yeah <laughs> it's horrific it's so hard to, it's so hard to keep that focus when there's nobody yeah. to talk to and there's yeah. nothing you can't even make your bed you can't even get dressed in the morning yeah because yeah. you're just dealing all yeah. day yeah. long but the truth is if you can realize that that's the that's the normal state of affairs, like you're not alone. If you're listening and you're a new parent, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And you know when the kid naps, lay your ass down. Yeah, yeah. Rest yeah. and really be rested, so that when the kid wakes up, you can be connected and give mm-hmm. that kid a few moments of trust in the presence mm-hmm. of an adult. Mm-hmm. You know those little cat, those little moments. A kid can catch that trust in the presence of an adult makes for a confident, incredible person. Mm-hmm. When they get older, those moments are important. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and they yeah. do accrue. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. beautiful. I normally really like to dig in on yeah. uh, and, and find out about people's <laughs> parents and what they did and how they shaped a person. Mm, that's you sweet. <laughs> but I'm sure Harvey yeah, You has, can ask me anything. I, I hide nothing. Ask me well, anything. <laughs> well, I, I must imagine, like, did you have a, um, a, a figure in your life who you, you looked at who was, you know, maybe a little bit quirky and it's like, oh... You know, Aunt Gladys, she was really into yoga. And I'm kind of, I think that's how I'm going to be. Was it? Was there a person like that for you? Like, was it like Lilius Folan? Like, who was that That person that said, you know, that maybe you, you could allow yourself to be the person that you are? Um, I have a few. 
Mm. I have a few. I, I definitely think one is my mom. She was really badass. She did a lot of different stuff, a lot of philanthropy, a lot of different jobs. You know, she held it down, and I watched that. Mm-hmm. My dad um, was always very kind to people whom I saw other people be really horrible to and taught me a lot about compassion and um you know, just acknowledging folks. And that's that's walked with me for a long way. Um, I had a few art teachers who really meant a lot to me. Joan Hochberg was one, Mary Ellen McGeo. Her last name is Bonifati now. I'm still in touch with both of them, middle uh, high school and middle school, respectively. Um, in terms of yoga, you know, Judith Hanson Lasseter is kind of my hero and my mom. We work together. We, um, I've studied with her for a long time, and she's taken me under her wing with regards to nonviolent communication and really given me the education that I needed for becoming a solid communicator in mm. any realm. I feel very confident about that now. And then, you know, Roshi Joan Halifax, I would definitely call her one of my... Oh, lighthouses. I was going to ask um, if, about her. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. She read me the riot act yesterday <laughs> in a practice interview in a really good way. <laughs> I needed it. Um, but she, she also, it, the level of her um, activism, the level of her history with all kinds of um psychedelic exploration I think is really interesting to me mm-hmm. especially now I'm sober for five eight nine years and learning about how important it is uh, to explore and respect with respect uh, psilocybin in microdoses for mm-hmm. um, for me it's helped me to drop a lot of baggage that I was carrying for a really long time mm-hmm. and I do probably, a third of the suggested course um, of microdosing. And I've done two courses, three courses uh, of it. And I have to say, I've dropped a lot of weight. I don't mean physical weight. I mean mental weight and emotional Uh, weight hmm. and psychological weight. Um, It does feel to me like the neurology of it, um, the way that it's kind of, reroutes blood flow away from the amygdala and toward more creative brain centers. Mm-hmm. Like that feels very true, very true to me. And, you know, Roshi Joan was part of that initial Western um, exploration back then. She was married to Stanislav Grof and, you know, a lot of changes and a lot of respect for the molecules of psychedelics really came through in, in her time. And now she's a Zen Buddhist abbot and priest, and I could not respect her anymore. The way that she speaks about her um, passions, her causes, the earth, and her people, and her climate. I mean, this is where we all have to go if we're going to get this right. Hmm. And she's, she stands for that in a very big way. I. Our dear friend Robbie used to go to Esalen to practice with with Stanislav Grof and, yeah. and Joan Halifax, and she mm-hmm. had this wonderful habit of of meditating naked on the diving board. <laughs> in the sixties, seventies, yeah, it's awesome. But I, I, I oh my god, <laughs> that is so good! I just heard a story last night with a a, a teacher, one of her contemporaries, who shall remain nameless. Um, <laughs> was telling me how she had like a deprivation chamber in Esalen and she would, <laughs> I mean, she was, she was far out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> she was far so, out. That's what I'll say. I think, but I, I mean, to have that as my teacher, I couldn't ask for more really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's incredible. Such a, like a vast array of different experiences and, and in many different spiritual sort of, paths coming together there <laughs> yeah indeed. Yeah. i think um a, a friend of ours richard freeman would also he did a number of ashtanga oh, yoga best. zen buddhist 
uh, uh, groups together. Were you a part yeah. of, of one of those? No, but I'm a huge fan of Richard and okay. um, have actually had them on my podcast. Oh, um, love, love them dearly. Yeah. yeah, Love, 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 like learning from him. One of the big things that I take away and it's part of my every single day is his definition of ahimsa. You know, it's not like you have to welcome somebody back into your house, but you can stop shutting them out. Mm. Mm. It's like the circle of love. Like, are you are you holding someone outside the circle of love? Is something that I've heard him say. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, why? Yes. Why? Yes. Are you doing that? Yeah. What are you holding on? It's to? understandable. It's understandable, but it is a ginormous uh, depletion of our energy to do that. <laughs> and there isn't a whole lot of energy to go around right now. Like hold your energy. Don't worry. You know, instead of putting somebody outside the circle, just make the circle bigger. Mm. <laughs> you know, rewire yeah. your brain a little bit, make the circle a little bit bigger. And then mm. everything can kind of coexist the way that it actually is already coexisting without your silly resistance. Yeah. You know, without my silly resistance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, growing yeah. up in the Midwest, like what we like to do is just shun people outside <laughs> of our communities. That I hear you, dude. I've been it's there. So hard not to do that. It's like my go-to. I know. <sighs> I know. You'll enjoy. I think it was um, an episode in the '80s of my podcast with Richard and Mary. In oh. the '80s. In the 1980s. No, like, no, not in the 1980s. Oh. I was in high school. Um, in the um, the numbers of the podcast, I seem you're, to remember. You're like at like one, something. 150 now, something like that. So, okay, I'll go back a few pages. All right, I'll go. go back a few pages. I think I'm at like one something. Okay. I don't know. But it was an 80 something. That's I have, I have weird visual photographic memory. Okay. <laughs> I'll look for that. I love that. But they're the best. Yeah, I, they I, are. They're I truly love, gems. I love what Richard said about working with, with Joan is, is that in that group, you had a, one side of the room were all these people who were afraid of sitting still. Right. And on the other side of the room, people who were afraid of moving. Right. <laughs> just, yes. Oh, I can only imagine. Totally. <laughs> totally. To, to, to kind of wrap that Zen. up, though, <laughs> and then to, to wrap that up, though, her, the, I think the main teaching that we can all take, whether we're Ashtangis or Zen Buddhists or whomever, is who, for whom are we doing the practice? Mm-hmm. For what are we doing the practice? You know, mm-hmm. instead of making it perfect, it was really... Like she really opened my eyes to the fact that every time we sit, every time we move, like we're bettering ourselves to be certain, but for what? And for me, what I'm starting to cobble together is the idea that if I don't do this, I cannot be of any use. Hmm. I can. Hmm. I love that. I think that's such a... Those are those are important questions to ask ourselves like on a daily basis, I feel. <laughs> right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Just mm. to keep yeah. like, you know, what am I doing this practice for? Who am I doing this practice yes. for? To stay present yes. to what you're choosing. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I love you just like I feel like everything you've you've spoken about is really about bringing that compassion into action. So through whatever practice you're taking on, you know, bringing that compassion into your life, in your relationships, yeah. you know, in all yeah. different ways. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Mm-hmm. If I don't, I, if we don't, it just all falls apart. You know, yeah. the compassion has to start with myself. And then I can bring it to other people, even the people who are horrible to me. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, really, really respect them in the face of abject disrespect. 
Right. Mm, make, yeah. make the great service a little bigger. <laughs> make it a little bigger, sister. Yeah. Yeah. Just grow it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Beautiful. You're there too. Yeah. 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 Work, work in it. Work in it. <laughs> Let the work circle it. be exactly. unbroken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, dude. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Oh, well, thank well, you for this time. Yeah, it was such a such a pleasure. And I really hope people listen to your podcast, the Practice You podcast, and also join one of your wonderful courses that you offer or your mentorship program, your membership. You have so many wonderful offerings and opportunities to work with you. And um, yeah, Thank I you. just hope people look you up and get the beautiful practice um, being you journal. Being you journal is it's so Thank beautiful with you. your artwork and, and your deck of cards too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Thank many, you. so many ways to get involved. And how, how could people find those materials? Elenabrower.com. Everything is there under one roof. It's pretty easy to find and there's lots to do in there. Yeah. Um, I'm just keeping myself happy by creating materials that I think would be relevant to me and that are relevant to me. Yeah. And hopefully they'll be useful to your listener too. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I, I know I've been blessed to be in your circle and, and learning from you for this past year. And I just want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your, your wisdom and your experience with everyone listening. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate your guys' time and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony. With me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a hard wind and the soil